had made, which is a line out of words by the late John Owen. And so this morning, I want to begin our time with a question. And here's the question. How did you do this week? How did you do this morning? How, how are you doing right now at killing sin? Remember what the question from John Owen was last week. Are you killing sin or is it killing you? This is our problem. This is our problem before we are saved and its effects and its consequences are eternal before you come to know Jesus Christ. And sin is our problem after we are saved because it has effects upon the practice of sanctification or the practice of holy living, the practice of the Christian life. And the solution is the same. It is the gospel that changes everything. The solution is the gospel. The reality of the good news of Jesus Christ solves all of those problems. Now, maybe you are here this morning and you are saying to yourself, I don't think my problem is sin. In fact, I don't believe in sin. Everyone is just in a different place in their enlightenment in life, but we are not sinners. And this morning, if you are here with that mindset, I want to say to you, if you are not a sinner, then you certainly won't want to be saved because there is nothing to save you from and the gospel of Jesus Christ has nothing to say to you. And sadly, you are spiritually blind and on the wide road to destruction. To say that you are without sin is to call God a liar. To say you are without sin actually promotes yourself to be God. And sin is killing you. Solution is the gospel. You need to repent and believe the gospel. But maybe you are here this morning and you do believe that you are a sinner. But you think that sin is just, or your sin particularly, is just way too bad for God to forgive. That you're just really too bad of a sinner for God to forgive. And, and maybe you believe that until you can forgive yourself, you just can't come to God by faith because after all, you were or, or you really are a really, really bad person. Maybe that's what you think about yourself. I need to say to you then this morning that if that is you, then you are still in sin. And you believe that by some way, by your own effort at forgiving yourself, that 
if you just do that or you just do that enough or you just have the right feelings about that, that that means that through that you will finally be acceptable to God. But I must say to you that sin is still killing you. It doesn't matter how much you forgive yourself, that effort will never be good enough before God. You only need to humble yourself before God. Embrace His gift of gracious mercy through His Son, Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the Gospel. Maybe you're here this morning, as I suspect many of us are, and you realize that in the Christian war that was waged this week in your own Christian life, some skirmishes happened and some skirmishes with sin you won, you had victory over, and some skirmishes you lost. Sin at times was killing you. So what category are you in? How did you do? As you think about your life, as you survey even this morning, how did you do? Which person are you? Sin is our problem. In fact, in the study of Romans, we have been hearing about the problem of sin for five chapters. That all humanity has a problem with sin. And the only cure for that terminal disease is Jesus Christ. There is no other cure. There is no other way. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing someone else can do for you by way of a human kind of reality. The only thing that you need is Jesus Christ. Unity with Christ is essential for salvation. And understanding all that we have in Jesus Christ by faith is essential for you and I to live holy Christian lives. So, if we know Jesus Christ by faith, I say it that way, if we know Jesus Christ by faith, because the only ones who can actually live according to what the Apostle Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 6 is true believers. Any attempt to live this way without knowing Jesus Christ or on some level by way of profession only saying you know Jesus Christ will be an impossible task. You will not be able to accomplish it. Your morality will never satisfy. Only true believers can live this way. No one else can actually live as God requires. No one else can live victoriously fighting against any vestige of sin except true believers. Many try. Many make attempts at living some kind of moralistic goodness, believing that they someday will be accepted by God on that basis and the sad outcome will be the same as all who do not ever believe upon Jesus Christ alone. Why? Because by the works of the flesh no one will see God. So the only people who can do what we are learning here in Romans chapter 6 are Christian people. And the battle is real, and the battle is every day, and the battle never sleeps, and sin is our problem. 
so, as we began to hear last Lord's Day, Paul begins to lay out for us how we can deal with this incessant problem. Certainly we have died to its penalty. Certainly we have died in Christ to its power. But it is still an incessant problem. God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, has made all who believe positionally holy in His sight. God sees us as holy already in His Son, Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, our future holiness is completely guaranteed. And yet, here we are. We live here on this earth as sojourners, as strangers, as aliens, as Peter says. We are aliens and strangers passing through. We are still here in our temporal mortal bodies. And sin is still nipping at our ankles. The eternal penalty has no effect. Its power, its ownership of us has been broken, but it's still around. It is still affecting. It is still attempting. So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? John Owen said, if you're not killing it, it will kill you. So it is deadly important for us to be growing in our practiced holiness. John Owen's little book, where that quote is drawn from, is called The Mortification of Sin. You and I know this reality under the theological term sanctification, holy living, set-apartness, differentness than our old self. It's what God's will is for us. God's will is that we be sanctified in our practice, that we be holy in our living. John 17 tells us that we are sanctified by His Word. We are sanctified by His Word. In other words... It is from the mouth of God. It is in the scriptures that we hear what God requires of us. And it is, it is from God's, the, God the Spirit that we are empowered to walk or to live according to what God requires. The reality is we have to walk in it. We have to walk in it. In it, we must do the walking. If we are going to be sanctified in our daily living, if we are going to be sanctified as Christians, if we are going to walk in holiness in a practical sense in our life, we must do what we have been equipped to do. Maybe it's just easiest to say it this way God will not live your Christian life for you. God will not live your Christian life for you. Many of us, in fact, I would say all of us from time to time, struggle to live as we ought to live. Not because we are not equipped. Not because we don't have the right equipment given to us by God in order to live victoriously, to live holy, to live sanctified lives. Not because sin is too powerful over us to beat. No, we simply do not win because we do not exercise what we know. We we forget who we are in Christ. We forget 
and because or, or, or we ignore the, the absolute fact that we have died to sin. That it no longer is our master. That we can live rightly by faith in Jesus Christ. In the words of Paul, in his exhortation to us to consider these things about ourselves, we do not consider ourselves to be dead to sin. We do not consider ourselves to be alive to God through our unity with Jesus Christ. And so what happens? Sin wins the moment. Sin wins the hour. Sin wins the day. Sin wins the week. So Paul, here in verses 12 through 14 of Romans chapter 6, is exhorting us. The Spirit of God is exhorting us by means of the Apostle Paul to live in light of what we know. Let's just remind ourselves what Paul says here by reading verses 12 to 14. Notice what he says. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Because, or for, sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, the first exhortation to us, as we saw it last week, in light of what we know about our unity with Jesus Christ, which he highlights to a great extent in the first 11 verses of this chapter and the ending verses of chapter 5. The first exhortation is to exercise a defensive weapon, as I have alluded to. I called it, or I labeled it, being a spiritual sniper. Verse 12 is the idea of this Spiritual sniper reality. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Snipers on the battlefield are a defensive weapon and used at times in an offensive way. You say, what do you mean? Well, many of us who like sports know that the World Cup of Soccer just finished. Every team had a goalie, multiple goalies in fact, some of them. A goalie is a defensive weapon on the team. We all know that. They're a defensive weapon. His job is to never allow the opponent to get the ball into his team's net. That's his job. He defends the goal, but he can be used in an offensive way as well. Sometimes... When he identifies a threat that is coming, he operates in a defensive way, and sometimes when he sees a threat coming, he leaves the area of the net and goes out to encounter the enemy coming. That is like a sniper. He is a defensive weapon in that he is protecting himself and he is protecting others who are on the battlefield, who are there. He doesn't want anything to get to them, but he is offensive in that he goes to engage the enemy. He identifies the threat 
And he kills it, dispatches it, removes it. And if we're going to live holy lives in the Christian life, if we are going to be sanctified here and now in our mortal bodies, that we are going to have to continually identify and kill the enemy known as sin. This is the point. This is the idea. We have to be spiritual snipers for the protection of ourselves and for the protection of others that can be affected by our foolishness if we fail. So Paul says, if I was to put it in the opposite direction, Paul says, if sin is winning the day, if sin is killing you, then you are allowing it to reign over you. If sin is killing you, it's not because sin is more powerful than you. It's not because the temptations are so great. It's because you have let sin reign over you. Don't let it reign. Don't let it reign. Now listen, you have to realize this about yourself. When you sin, or when some sinful practice is your habit, you have to realize this about yourself. It is not because you are not equipped enough. When you sin, or when sin is a pattern, you've seen this pattern of sinfulness in your life, and you want to take care of it, but you seem to think you can't take care of it, it is not because you are not equipped enough. You have everything you need for life and godliness. So you are equipped enough. It is not because you are just too weak to win. It is not because you're not smart enough theologically to win. No, the reason that you are as you are is because you have allowed sin to reign. You've allowed it to reign. You let it be king over you. God says you are not to do that. If you went to God, God in some kind of way, we can have this picture in our mind as our father, and we go to our father, we say, I'm having a trouble with this. How do I get over it? Hear what God would say to you with his words. Just stop it. Stop doing that. My father, when I was young, I sometimes would hurt myself and I'd say, Dad, it hurts when I do this. My dad would say, then stop doing that. That's where I get my compassion, folks, so you understand why. <laughs> That's what God says to us. Just stop. Don't let it do that. You see, you're letting it do that. Don't let it do that. Why? Because of who you are in Christ. Because of who you are in Christ, you have been equipped to not let that happen by faith in Jesus Christ. Do what God says. Now someone's going to say, well, that doesn't happen to me. That doesn't happen to me. Really? Let me just give us an example. Because it happens in some very subtle way. It becomes easy for us to not own our problem. 
this is what we like to do with sin. Sin becomes something in us, and we like to not own it as our problem. Sin is reigning, but we don't like to own the reality that we're letting it reign, so we begin to project other things. Here's an example. Have you ever said this in your mind, maybe even verbally? When, when you're in a discussion with somebody else and the discussion starts to get kind of tense, some things are said that aren't really nice, you get attacked, and then you attack back. And you go about saying to someone else who might have heard of the event and they want to know what happened in the event, you, they're innocently inquiring. It's not about gossip. We're not talking about that. And you say this. They made me so angry. You ever thought that way? You ever said that? You ever said that to your spouse? You ever said that to your friend? To somebody else about someone who was considered a friend? They made me so angry. Really? They made you angry? Wow. That's some kind of power they have over you. They made you do that. They made you angry. You hear what's happening when you say that, when you think that way? You were angry. You were even sinfully angry. And instead of identifying that sin and killing that sin, you instead disregarded it as your problem and blamed your problem on somebody else. The reason I sinned the way I sinned is because they made me sin. It kind of sounds like Genesis chapter 3, doesn't it? Wait a minute, God. It wasn't my problem with the fruit. It was that woman you gave me. See, this has been around since the beginning. This is what we do. You made me do whatever I did. You did that to me. You actually are the goalie on the field who blames the team for not stopping the ball. The, the ball goes in the goal, and you were standing by the pole just waiting for things to happen, and you blame the team for not stopping it. Paul says you can't do that. You have to be a spiritual sniper. You have to identify the enemy as it approaches and kill it. Stop it. How? How do we actually kill it? By the second thing that Paul tells us. Notice what he says. Verse 13, he says, Do not... Go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Now stop right there. The, the way you and I kill sin, the way you and I identify sin, first of all, we have to see it coming. The way we kill it is by making a calculated choice. Calculated choice. Listen, every sin that we commit is a result of a personal choice. Every sin that we commit is the result of a personal 
choice. We do not sin because someone made us sin. We sin because of a calculated choice to sin. You say, well, why do you use those words? Why do I, why do I say it's a calculated choice when we sin? Because any sin that we commit, any sin that we commit, overt, covert, secret sin, sins that are blamed, whatever it is, flows from a choice to sin. Flows from a choice to not identify sin. Flows from a choice to let sin reign. Even those things that we do not know yet to be sin, but are sin, and yet because we're so immature in our faith or we're immature in our Christian life, we're a baby Christian, we don't know all the things that are sinful in our life. God is cranking those and showing us those and, and helping us rid ourselves of those over time. There are a whole host of things that we may be doing that hasn't been shown to us by the word of God or through discipleship in our Christian walk that they are sin yet, but we do them still by our choosing. In other words, they don't just happen. No other person makes us sin. People around you don't make you sin. Your spouse does not make you sin. Even the devil doesn't make you sin. For those of you who are old enough, you remember years ago, comedian Flip Wilson used to say that, right? The devil made me do it. No, the devil doesn't make you sin. We sin because we choose to sin. Paul says that if you're going to live holy as a Christian, then you must make a calculated choice to not sin. Notice verse 13. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Notice Paul says, do not go on presenting. That's a choice being made. Do not go on making that kind of choice. Do not go on presenting. Do not go on presenting what? The members of your body to sin. What kind of body am I in? I'm in a mortal body, as verse 12 says. Don't go on presenting myself to sin. The members of our body. What does he mean by that? He means all of your human faculties, all of who you are, every part of you. He's not just talking about the physicalness of us. He's talking about our inward selves, not just the pieces of our, of our body outwardly. He's talking about all of you. Don't offer your emotions as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't offer your thinking as an instrument of unrighteousness. Don't offer your speech as an instrument of unrighteousness. Don't offer your personality as an instrument of unrighteousness. Don't offer any and everything that has to do with you. Do not notice, go on presenting them. That implies that we do already and we need to know that we're doing that already and we need to stop it. Do not go on presenting. That means you're already presenting in some kind of way, which is why you sin, so stop doing that. You see? The 
reason that we sometimes sin so easily and sometimes sin easily and continually is because we have made a choice to offer who we are as instruments of unrighteousness. That's what Paul's saying. The word instruments is a great word. It's the idea of a tool. That's the, that's the word, word group. We, we allow our minds, we allow our emotions, we allow our words, we allow our mouths, our hands, our feet to be used as tools of unrighteousness. It's not that somebody made us do that. It's not that we are too weak to fight back and not do that. It's not that we are under-equipped to do that. We have simply made a conscious choice to be used sinfully. That's what we're doing. And what we need to do is own that. Own that. Realize that about ourselves and stop doing it. I remember years ago when I was in California and I was counseling a person who was struggling with alcohol. They had a very difficult problem with alcohol. They were finding it difficult to overcome. And in the course of our time together, over many, many times we met, I found out that one of the practical steps that this person needed to take in order to help gain victory over these conscious choices that they were making was to amend the way they drove home from work. To not use their commute as an instrument of unrighteousness. You say, well, why? How is that helpful? Because the way they drove home from their work took them past several liquor stores and a bar. They had a problem with alcohol. All of those things were temptations. All of those things were out there. Those things in and of themselves are part of the world. And yet this person was a Christian. And all of those things were temptations. And all of those things needed to be dealt with. And in order to help kill the enemy of that temptation, which was alcohol, they had to make a conscious choice to drive a different way home. To just stop going by the temptation. Some of us sometimes have temptations with all kinds of different things. Some of us have internet issues. Some of us have problems with other things. And you know what we do? We wake up in the morning or we carry out our day and we go back to the very thing that is helping us cause or make a choice that isn't right. Oh, it's not making the choice for us. It's not doing that. We're making a conscious choice, but we're choosing to even engage with something that helps us in that direction. This person had to no longer offer themselves as a potential tool to that unrighteousness. They had to present themselves, notice how verse 13 says, in a, in a strong contrast, stop presenting the members, don't go on doing that to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Now here's the strong contrast, here's the very, the, the very great contrast in the opposite direction, but... Present yourselves, see, don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin, but present yourselves where? To God, as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You see, it starts in the mind, who you are. You are alive to God. 
You're not dead to sin. You're not in sin. Sin has no power over you. Remember who you are. Remember what you have in Jesus Christ. And present yourselves in that opposite way. Present yourselves as a tool of righteousness to God. You see the conscious choice reality? Am I going to present myself as an instrument, a tool for unrighteous things? Or am I going to present myself as a tool... God for righteousness. What does the word present mean? What does it mean? It means to make yourself available to. To make yourself available to. To offer yourself at the disposal of. Don't go on offering yourself at the disposal of sin. But offer yourself at the disposal of God because you are alive from the dead. Offer yourself as an instrument of righteousness. Listen, this is a principle that we have to lock into our Christian hearts. This is a principle that we must resonate in our own Christian hearts as we think and live each and every day, Paul is going to bring it up over and over and over and over again throughout this gospel. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Notice what he says. Very familiar text. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present. See, offer yourself at the disposal of Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Listen, to live godly in Christ Jesus is worship to God. To live a sanctified life is a worship to God. To live a holy life is a worship to God. So how do I do that? By a conscious choice to offer myself at God's disposal. That's exactly what Paul says in chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, so that, here's the purpose, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. You say, okay, pastor, is that actually possible? Yes. Yes. But it doesn't happen all at once. Thankfully. You say, well, I wish it would. No, you don't. You would be crushed in every way if you knew all that God is working on in you by way of your own sinful practices. I would be crushed if I knew in one fell swoop, in one fell moment, all that God was working on me by way of sinful patterns. It doesn't happen all at once, but it does happen progressively. It does happen over time. So the road of practical sanctification is not a flat line road. It is not a straight vertical line. It is a road that goes like this. That's why many of you ask me how I'm doing, and I say it's smooth sailing. It's up. There's downs, struggles. If you are active as a spiritual sniper, exercising the conscious choice to present your tool, yourself as a tool of righteousness, if you're active as a spiritual sniper, you'll be 
exercising a conscious choice to offer yourself as an instrument of righteousness, as Paul says here. You say, why? Why, why would I do that? Verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you. You're not under the law. You're under grace. You see, contrary to the popular idea of today in many circles where grace is just a freelance carte blanche to go do whatever you want and sin in any way you want because you're under grace, you're not under law, the reality is that grace hems you in if you understand it rightly. The reality that you're not under the law in the sense that the law continues to show you what you are. The law is doing the same thing, by the way. The law only opens up uh, your eyes to what is sinful. The law says, nope, that's not righteous. Nope, don't do that. Nope, don't do that. It's doing the same thing for every person. Those who are trying to be governed by the law and live by it and generate some kind of personal righteousness on their own to hopefully be acceptable to God, it's doing the same thing. They just rewrite the law in order to salve their conscience that continues to ring and say, see, you failed again, you failed again, you failed again. But for the Christian, the law is doing the same thing. You're not under the penalty. You can't strive at the law in order to gain any kind of righteousness before God by way which He'll accept you in some kind of way by your righteousness. You already are accepted by God. And because that is all of grace and because you stand in grace, grace says, listen, all of that helps me. The law helps me. The law shows me things that I do not see. God's law says to me, nope, don't do that. So I go and I see that and I go, I'm not going to do that. And when I fail at that, I don't beat myself up and say, oh my goodness, I just never can have victory over these things. That may be true, but it's not true because the law is there. It's true because you're just offering yourself as an instrument of unrighteousness. The law is saying, don't do that. Grace is saying, I equipped you to have victory. Now walk in that. Why can I have victory over sin? How can I be effective as a spiritual sniper? Make conscious choices not to sin? Because sinning is not who we are. That's what Paul's saying. Sinning is not who you are. It'd be just like you selling your house, selling all your goods, and going to live in a cemetery as if that was your place of life. The cemetery is where dead people hang out. You're not dead. You're alive. Sinning is not who we are. Do you see what God is saying? Sin shall not be future tense master over you. Sin shall not be master over you. Listen, sin and its power over you has been completely vanquished. It is not your master. It is not going to master you in the glories of heaven. Do you realize that? Sin will be no more. You won't even have to deal with any vestige of sin once you're in the glories of heaven. It will not be your master. Why? Because in Christ, you died to its mastery. The violation of it, according to the law, has no bearing on you. You live under grace. You live under grace. Grace doesn't doesn't free you up to just live any way you want. Grace has freed you to the power and penalty of sin and equipped you with the Holy Spirit and the power to do what's right. Grace has freed you up to obey. 
what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, listen, sinning now as a Christian is not who you are in Christ. God did not save you to live under the power of sin. You are alive to honor your Savior. You have been raised to a new life. In Christ, you've been raised to a newness of life. Remember, we were buried in, we, were, we died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We were raised to a newness of life. Now walk in that newness. Just to say it again, as Paul says it back in verse 7, for he who has died is freed from sin. So you see, When we sin as Christians, we have in that very moment and over time, if we keep on it, allowed our vigilance to ease. We've presented ourselves to sinful lust. Desires within us, as James says. You're not tempted by God. God doesn't tempt anyone. It's a sinful desire in you. It's that strong desire. You've offered yourself to that. Why? Because you've forgotten who you are in Christ. Living in sin is not who you are. Sin ought not be mastering you. You can't earn God's favor by attempting to live holy. You're not gaining anything by way of your relationship with God by means of your own walking in holiness. No one is righteous by the law. So because you are under grace, through Jesus Christ, live like it. What did Paul say? Live like it. You can now live like it. You ought to desire to live like it. So you see, it isn't isn't these strict rules that motivate us to holiness. It's grace. Grace is what motivates us to greater holiness. Not sinful things. Listen to how Titus says it. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Listen to this. For by grace, or for the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. Who's the grace of God? Jesus Christ. He says that. Bringing salvation to all men... The grace of God has appeared. He's not simply talking about Jesus Christ as a person. He's talking about all that comes with Christ. That is the grace of God. All that comes in Jesus Christ, it has appeared. It brought salvation to all men, but yet it also instructed us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. You say, how do we do that? If, 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 if in salvation we've been equipped to do that, how do we do that? Here's what Titus says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We, we do it by looking to who we are and to Him who is coming in whom we are. Why? Because Jesus 
verse 14 of Titus 2, gave himself for us to redeem us, that, that's buy back, to buy us back from every lawless deed. How many lawless deeds did he buy us back from? The guilt of any sin you ever committed before or will commit in the future has been paid for in Jesus Christ. There is no guilt before God by way of the eternal penalty claimed in those things. He himself came, gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. And, and, in other words, he just didn't take care of your redemption. He just didn't take care of your future holiness before God. No, and... And to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That word purify is the same root word for sanctify. To sanctify for himself, to set apart for himself, to cause to be holy for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good deeds. What more do you want? What more do you need? We are under grace. Because of that, sin cannot have power over us. Paul says it's the realization of that truth that is the greatest motivation for your practical holiness. Greatest motivation for your sanctified living in your Christian life is to understand who you are in Christ and all that that has given you by means of the grace of God. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let sin reign in your life right now, here and now. Do not offer your members who you are by means of your whole personhood to sin. You are under grace. Sin shall not master you, he said. What loving, encouraging, beautiful words. It's not becoming of the Christian to live in sin. The question is, do you realize these things about yourself since you believe in Christ? Do you realize this is who you are? You will one day stand before God in His presence. You will see Him and you will be like him, our Bible tells us. You will be glorified. You won't be a God, but you will be glorified as God himself reflects his glory. When you consider these truths, all that you are in Christ, the natural response is to hate sin. To hate it. To hate all that comes with it. When you do that, you'll identify it in yourself. You'll identify the sinful vestiges in yourself and you will kill them. You will make the conscious choice to present yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. Sin is not our master. Paul says, so don't allow it to be. Sin is not your master. Don't allow it to be. You're under grace. After I was finished last week with my sermon, oftentimes I'll get messages from people. Russ sent me a quote 
after last Sunday's message from John Owen in his writing of that book, The Mortification of Sin, and I want to read it to all of us. It'll help us. John Owen says it this way, quote, Let not that man think he makes any progress in holiness who walks not over the bellies of his lusts. Let me say that again. Let not that man think he makes any progress in holiness who does not walk or who walks not over the bellies of his lusts. He who does not kill sin in his way takes no steps toward his journey's end. He who finds no opposition from it and who sets not himself in every particular to its death, to its mortification, is at peace with it and not dying to it. You're not killing sin. Sin is killing you. Let's pray together. Father, once again we bow our heads and we are thankful for your word. For it is sharp as any double-edged sword, dividing down to the thoughts and intentions of our heart. The outward things of our own lives are visible and yet to you everything is visible, even the things of our mind, the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Lord, the vestiges of sin are there in seedbed form. Some are even coming to fruition. We pray that you would help us identify them. Help us be so saturated with the truth. It is your truth that sanctifies. Help us be so saturated with the truth that we would be easily able to identify the sin as it approaches. And that as we trust what you tell us, by the equipping power of the Spirit which you have given us, we would say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Lord, we all know how deadly sin is, for it was that which you died for. Plunging a whole host of your creation into the abyss of eternal hell. And yet, by your mercy and by your grace, you have chosen to save some from that destruction. And those who know you by faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, have been equipped to live righteously, to offer ourselves to you as instruments of righteousness, even here and now, as we will one day fully do in the glories of heaven. Lord, I pray that that would be our joy, that would be our desire. That any vestige of sin that we see by way of our own heart, by way of our actions, that we would kill it, mortify it, destroy it, Never let it rise again. Every time it wants to raise its head, we would kill it again. Offering ourselves by faith in what you have told us, how we are to live, that your name would be glorified and honored through your word and through the practice of our life. Lord, these are our great joy and our great privilege as your children, what you have made us in your dear Son. Accomplish these things by your grace in us, we pray in Jesus' name.